Welcome to Huddle Home Office. I'm Mark Legere. In the mid-19th century, Cornelia Sparrow owned a barbershop and a dining saloon in uptown St. John. He was an escaped slave from Virginia. Georgina Wetzel operated an ice-cutting business and was believed to be the richest black woman in North America when she sold it at the beginning of the 20th century. Abraham Beverly Walker was the first black man to attend the St. John Law School and the first black Canadian-born lawyer. Lena O'Ree worked as a housekeeper at the Admiral Beattie Hotel in St. John in the 1950s. At the time, even black celebrities like Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald had to use the back door. O'Ree decided to take a stand and walk through the front door. These people were successful entrepreneurs and community leaders, trailblazers in the face of systemic racism. Local poet and playwright Clyde Ray believed their stories needed to be told, that they take their rightful places as historical figures we admire and emulate. It bothered him that a series of murals in the city center featured eight historical figures, all white. So he wrote and produced We Were Here, the stories of eight black Canadians brought to life on the stage in partnership with the St. John Theatre Company. The virtual production is being live streamed on the last weekend of Black History Month. I spoke with Clyde earlier this week. I've gotten to know him over the years since he moved here from New York, bumping into him often at cafes around the uptown core. I pulled him out of one of his favorite haunts for a chat about the story behind his new production. I hope you get as much from it as I did. Hi, Clyde. Hi, Mark. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm sitting here in the uh, St. John Theatre Company. This is where you caught me today. Well, uh, uh, Clyde, I'm, 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 I've gotten to know you over the years, and I was thinking that that mostly um, our interactions are, are me finding you in, in coffee shops or, or vice versa. And uh, I, I know that the, uh, the St. John Theatre Company space is, is right next to a, a familiar haunt for you. Yes. Uh, the Catapult. The Catapult Cafe. Yeah, I, I like going there to, uh, to work as I do many cafes. But uh, uh, since I've become the artist in residence here at the St. John Theatre Company, that's very convenient. Yeah. And I, I was thinking um, uh, probably of, of the early days when we would have first met and where I remember you most uh, when, around the time that we first would have met was uh, being a fixture in the old Magnolia Cafe down on Prince William Street. Uh, uh, so I have fond memories of that. I'll tell you that. That's where early in the morning I would love to go. I, I, and you know, strangely enough, I still miss the place. I go to the cast and kettle on, on occasion. And when I go in there, I, I, do, miss, I do miss my little haunt. What is it about cafes for you and, and, uh, and liking to work in them? I suspect most of it is it's just the silence. I have three kids at home, right? <laughs> and, uh, and people tend to be very respectful here in St. John. If they see you, someone will just walk up to you and want to speak to you and they'll say, am I disturbing you? If I say yes, they'll go on about their business. Uh, uh, I find people to be very respectful, at least for me here in St. John. So, uh, but I don't know. It's like when I have to uh, have a thought or I have to get up and I can walk out and come right back, you know, and, and I have that thought. And I'll take a few steps and say, oh, 
Okay, that's the word I was looking for. So that works for me. I don't know why. It just works. There's, there are reasons for things, but I don't understand the reason for that. <laughs> I just do it. <laughs> and having moved here from the U.S. too, I suspect it was uh, a really good way to to get to know people after you first moved here. Well, that's why I'm still here, actually. Uh, when I first arrived in uh, Halifax, uh, and I was staying at a hostel because I had a play running in L.A., and I came to Halifax to give a lecture, what happened, the reality of what really happened was people spoke. And I thought that was some sort of an anomaly that people actually spoke. I'm from New York. People don't speak. <laughs> and I, I, I thought, well, I, I had to stay around a little while. And, uh, and I found, this, this, of course, was before... Halifax decided to become cosmopolitan, right? So people just kept speaking, and I kept thinking, there's something wrong here. <laughs> and then I met my wife. Right. And that was 18 years and three kids ago. <laughs> yeah. And did you meet your wife in a cafe? Uh, yes, I did, as a matter of fact. <laughs> we were sitting on the deck, uh, on Gottagen Street, and I said to her, well, let me go over and get some wings, and we'll sit down, and we'll chat. <laughs> True story. <laughs> <laughs> and so what brought you to St. John, then? Uh, we had a daughter, and Kelly wanted to be closer to the libraries, and, uh, and her mother lives in Fredericton. So we were close, but not so close. And uh, so... And that was basically, it was basically just a toss-up. You know, uh, and we decided on St. John, and here, here we've been for, what, 14 years or something. Yeah. So that's, right. and it's worked out very well. You know, she, she was dancing for a while, and, uh, and, and St. John has been, ex for, for an individual, that's from New York City uh, to come to St. John and not in your typical entrepreneurial spirit, but entrepreneurial nevertheless, because the arts and being out and, and performing and putting up shows is in its own way very entrepreneurial. Uh, St. John has been very good to me in that context. Right, because I do think of you uh, as an entrepreneur of sorts, right, in your, in your various activities. Yes. Do you think of yourself that way? Uh, truthfully, I know that it's what part of what I do, but I don't think of it in that. I think of because I'm more on the, I suspect, on the more artistic side and not the monetary side, if you understand what I mean. Because it, it, it takes a great deal of energy to continue to produce. And there's only so much energy to go around. <laughs> uh, but in, in, in its way, you know, when I get a, uh, 
an, an email from someone from a distance, right, from Halifax to say, and they'll say, well, we'll are you willing to do this, this, and this, and we'll pay you X amount, then you, you're into negotiations. And so, I mean, it's all very entrepreneurial. It's a business. It's a business. Now, getting to the, the genesis of your, your current project, uh, it, 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 the idea came to you in, in, a, in a St. John, if not cafe, restaurant. Uh, actually, it came in. The original idea came from sitting in. You're, you're absolutely right. The original idea. These, let's put it this way. The original annoyance came from <laughs> sitting in the cafe looking at those portraits. <laughs> That's the original annoyance. So, and uh, so, so yes, that that's how that came about. But then the rest of it fell in place on its uh, through Stevens Tobias, uh, general manager here, at the uh, St. John Theater Company and uh, Black Lives Matter, the march that we had here in July, because that actually what that did was uh, it exposed me to other people whom I could pick out and say, you know, I think he can be an actor. I wonder if I can interest him in performing in this, that, or people I hadn't seen or known. So I had that exposure through Black Lives Matter, the march here. And then Stephen and I, of course, had the uh, the conversation, and then we developed uh, the play. Right. So t- taking us back just uh, to that, you know, sitting and looking at at uh, those portraits for people who aren't, um, you know, from St. John, uh, you know, maybe from Fredericton, Moncton, or right. Halifax, and aren't familiar with the scene that you saw. Uh, right. Tell me, tell me about those those portraits. Well. Uh, there's a series of port that series of portraits that were on the wall, on a wall which is no longer there. Uh, a series of portraits of Caucasian men and women, and they're painted very nicely, and they just hang there for people to see. Of uh, of people of note here that lived here or were born here in St. John, and. Uh, I would sit there and watch, and particularly in the summertime, the trolleys would come by, the tourists, and then the walking tours would come by. And of course, the people who were guiding the tours would point out these portraits that were on the wall. So for me, it was just wondering if anybody of color had done anything significant enough to not have to have a portrait on the wall. I mean, we speak about diversity of the city, but then you need to show it. So I'm looking at these portraits and I'm getting aggravated. And 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 as often as I go into that cafe, <laughs> my aggravation level just rose up. <laughs> so uh, and then the opportunity came to write, to research about these characters that are in the in the play. And these were St. Johns who had who had done significant things here in St. John. 
For instance, Cornelius Barrow, who had who had a hair salon or a, a barbershop. He started out as a whitewasher. And he's a runaway slave, by the way. He started out whitewashing, so we'll just call it construction. From that, he went to owning his own barbershop and a cafe. Not a cafe. A salon is what they call them. At, a saloon is what they call them at the time. And then he went on to to open up the Victoria Saloon, which was the largest saloon restaurant here in St. John at one time. This is a runaway slave. <laughs> right. You know, and I think my personal thing is he qualified for a portrait on that wall. Now, he, uh, around what time uh, did uh, Cornelius uh, live and operate his businesses? These were the 1800s. I don't have the number right in front of me, but these were the 1800s. So we're talking a period when uh, racism and uh, discrimination was rampant. And I believe at that time, he wasn't... According to law, he wasn't allowed to do these things that he did, but somehow he managed to get it done, you know, as did uh, Georgina Wetzel, right? Again, when before your refrigerators, she was cutting ice out here on Lily Lake and at one time was considered to be the wealthiest woman, black woman, in North America. She had a monopoly on Lily Lake. I think she was much worthy of a uh, portrait on the wall. She had over a thousand contracts to uh, supply the surrounding area and St. John and the surrounding area with ice. You know, so when I went and had to do this research, I found out about these people. How do you have a woman here, Constant Timberlake, that was born here in St. John, eventually went into, uh, down to the United States, got her doctorate, and then went to work for two presidents? (laughs) I I think she's worthy of, of a portrait on the wall, right? But you have... And she had worked at the, uh, and she had worked at the the old TSN the TSM's oh, yes. brush factory, right? Right, right. She worked at Sims Corner before she left. <laughs> so, I think she was worthy enough to have a uh, a portrait on the wall. So I found out all of these things through research, and uh, and he and St. John Theatre Company. They were good enough to produce and the the crew here is absolutely fabulous by the way but uh it took a lot of work to put this together yeah, yeah. and and i want to definitely i want to touch on some of the other uh the other the other uh people that you focus on in this production uh definitely but i'd like to pause for a minute and and get a sense of so how this how this project evolved when you started talking to steven about it um because you had to do a lot of research, then you had to do a lot of writing, and then you had to find actors 
Uh, tell me a little bit about how this evolved from start to finish, because it, it's here. Here we are, looking up at at a wall across the street from, you know, <laughs> Pomodori Picarones, yeah. and seeing you know a bunch of a bunch of white folk up there, and well, and all, again, uh, all people worthy of, of of mention in the city, right, for their contributions. Well, right. But there are people missing from this wall. Exactly. And that, and that's my point. That's my point. I mean, we we scream diversity. We want to make that part of our selling. We sell our city using that. And I'm simply saying, let's uncover some real history then and say that, you know, I think of, uh, it, it's funny that, that we're having this discussion. I think of Sheila Cantu. Do you remember Sheila? Oh, of course. Yes. But did actually, for, for our listeners, they'll remind us of, of who she was. She, I, you know, I'm not, I don't know what her ethnic, I know that she was, you know, she was indigenous. I'm not, I don't want to say which one, though, because yeah. I don't know. Right. Yeah, and a very prominent, uh, you know, activist yeah, in this a city. Very, very prominent activist in this city. I mean, every time you turned around, you saw Sheila at some event. She was involved in this city. I'm speaking when I say people of color. I'm speaking for her also because she was involved in this city like a lot of people I don't know. <laughs> you know. So when I say people of color, I'm speaking for the total. It just so happens that this is Black History Month. Yes. And it just so happens that that's the that's the project that I chose to do. Uh, how it came about was Stephen and I had been looking to do some work together for a very long time, number of years now. We had read some plays we together. We, had, you know, so and we've spoken about it. Timing is everything. And this was just the right time for, and, and my angst, <laughs> my angst and this time came together. <laughs> and, 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 and then we had people like Ralph Thomas, who works up at Prude, who has a wealth of information up there a wealth of information. You have the Black History Society, again, a wealth of information to look at, right? So, but it was buried. It was buried. So we had to uncover it. We had to talk about it. And then we had to, and because we don't have a many black actors here, I had to find them. Again, Black Lives Matter March gave me the opportunity to find people who have spoken in public before and weren't, wouldn't be afraid and that would take on the project as seriously as I did. And that happened because it was just the right time. Right, and that, that event that I'm thinking in particular too, that there were there were thousands of people in that yeah. square, uh, you know, hearing hearing people speak, right? And so you would have recruited some of those some of those people to to be. A, a That's where they all came from. That's where they all came from. Uh, it was as if someone was saying to me, "Okay, I'm going to put this in front of you. You need to do your choosing." 
<laughs> okay, it, go and get these names and then find out who these people are and, and then ask them. And the only one that I asked turned it down because he had a new, he, his, uh, he had a new child and he was involved in some other things. He, in fact, he was the president of Black Lives Matter here. So, uh, so he, he was just all tied up at the moment. And this would have taken a great deal of time. So, and so you had to write, write uh, essentially, how is, this going, how is this going to work? You essentially had to write parts for them and stories well, for them that they were, well, they were going to perform on stage. It was, I don't know that I can really explain that, but I have, had, I have a wealth of experience. And one of the characters, yeah, so Zaya Hansen, goes out and uh, he tries to explain about picking cotton and tobacco. Well, when I was 17 years old, I actually went down to South Carolina to pick cotton and tobacco. So I literally had that experience and it wasn't, didn't last long, but <laughs> I will tell you now, it did not last long. That was gonna be my summer job. And it didn't last long. I think it lasted maybe a day and a half. <laughs> it, it, the work didn't suit your temperament? No, no, no. <laughs> and there was a strapping young man. And I, so when I say 40 years, when I say this man worked 40 years and had to go through that, uh, it's because I personally understand I don't understand how he could have survived that. But having said that, if you are in that kind of situation, there's only one word that's accurate and survival. That word is survival. And but my point being with Jahia Hansen is that how I, I, I no, I don't I still don't understand, but the struggle the struggle was writing for him was putting myself in his shoes. And trying yeah. to remember what it was when I was 17 years old to go down Tobacco Row, bent over like that, and <laughs> and it wasn't a very good thought. So I had to incorporate that. And it's not hard to incorporate people who are entrepreneurial. Somebody like uh, jo Georgina Wetzel, you know that she had to work extraordinarily hard. During those days, she had to be articulate enough to to get all those contracts. She had to have what we call today the entrepreneurial spirit to do that. And she had to have drive. Cornelius Sparrow had to have drive. Constant uh, Timberlake had to have drive to, to get through. And to leave St. John and to go down to the States and and go to uh, Syracuse University. And then they eventually wind up working for two presidents. How do you do that? I mean, you when you think about it and in the, and in that time period, that time period when there was no integration, when there was there was no equality. Those people deserve to have to have their stories told. 
When, and I was thinking, uh, Clyde, too, so when I was kind of reviewing the, the list of, of people that you're highlighting in, in, in this performance, I started looking down the list and, and jotting down the names of who I thought would be, you know, the most entrepreneurial right. to, to highlight for, you know, for Huddle. Right. And, and I found myself writing down all the names. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about, think about Abraham Beverly Walker, right? a lawyer, he had to continue. He, when his struggle began, he didn't quit. He didn't quit. So in the end, when he's dead and gone, they decide to give him uh, posthumously New Brunswick's highest award. That's because he didn't quit. He continued on. Right. And telling us a little bit of Abraham's story, so he was uh, he was the first uh, black St. Johner to go to St. John Law School, wasn't he? First black, yeah, he was the first black lawyer here in St. John. First one to go into uh, the, the law school that was here. He was the first one in Canada and one of three in the Commonwealth. <laughs> that, that man had no quit. Right, and when and when you talk about, I think it was was it the the Queen's Council. Yes, that, that he, he, he couldn't get at the Queen's time. Council. He was denied the Queen's Council simply because he was a man of color. He was black. Right. That's the only reason. And he was ridiculed. He could have easily quit, I suppose, being ridiculed in the courts by his peers. He could have quit, but he didn't. In his way, he had the entrepreneurial spirit. And by the way, his first office was in the Ritchie building. You know where that's at? That's O'Leary's Pope. <laughs> was he, he was over in, in, as a practicing lawyer over there? Over there, right there, O'Leary's Pope. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and Clyde, I just I know that in part because my father uh, was a lawyer. Um, and uh, also because I had an office down there when we used to run a, a newspaper called Here. And right. That was actually at one time, um, and for people who are listening who are, aren't from St. John, it's an area of the uptown that, in in his era, was a bit of a legal quarter. Right, right, right. Was, yes. That that was where a lot of the practicing lawyers were, uh, down near the banks and and down in that area. And that's where he had his first office, right, right in the Ritchie Building. <laughs> so I mean, so. When you think about it, when you think about having the entrepreneurial spirit, you think about it in different ways and how these men and women manage to struggle through and become successful. Right. Because you have, like you have, you know, Cornelius, who operated a barbershop, has a saloon. You have, uh, you know, Abraham, who's a lawyer. Uh, you have uh, Georgina, who's operating an ice business. They're not just operating in in ordinary conditions. No. They're they're actually having to operate businesses in the face of of great prejudice and great challenges. Right? Exactly, and it, it takes it takes fortitude not to be discouraged under those circumstances. It takes perseverance to continue on when you know, when you know 
They don't want you to succeed. So when people say it's difficult, because someone said it to me this morning, that it's difficult to start a business, I say, yeah, that may be true. <laughs> I can give you a story about difficult. <laughs> yeah. And then you, there was a, a story I was telling my um, my daughter, uh, uh, Ella, uh, who is, is named after uh, a great-grandmother, Ella, and she's been listening to um, Ella Fitzgerald. Right. And listening to her music a lot in, in, in the last several weeks because uh, she loves to sing. And right. uh, so we're trying to expose her to as much as we can. And the reason why I mention it is... Uh, when I was reading through some of the biographical notes and I came upon the story of Lena O'Ree, which I'll get you to tell us here, you have like a, you know, a 17 year old girl who works as, you know, a housekeeper at the Admiral Beatty and right here, right. people, people of Ella Fitzgerald's stature have to come through the back door. Yeah. And what does Lena choose to do? Paul Robeson, right? This great baritone. This iconic, sick, worldwide figure, they wouldn't allow him in the building. <laughs> they wouldn't allow the man in the building. Paul Robeson, right, who was very much an activist in his own right, right? So Lena O'Ree makes a deal with a uh, politician here. He wanted certain votes. She makes a deal with him because they've been going through the back door to get to work. She makes a deal with him and they all come through the front door. <laughs> okay. But, and, and then she says, you know, you should have seen these eyes. They just look, think you might, you would have thought we broke into their most inner sanctum sacred sanctum, right? Because, and it was only the front lobby. <laughs> it's the lobby, guys. <laughs> you know, but they had been all these years going through the back door to go to have to go to work because they couldn't go. And she decided enough is enough of that. And yeah. just a 17-year-old girl. Yes. Yep. Well, she was... She was 17 when she started in the radio business. Okay. She had a radio station that she worked at, CFO, FBO, something or other. Anyway, so she was 17 years old. And she says, what she says is nobody, the, the, the managers, the station owners, didn't want anybody to know that she was a young girl of color because they were afraid they would lose their sponsorship and their listeners. Now, there's something wrong with that kind of thinking. You know, that's because I'm a person of color. You don't want people out there. But you'll put me on your radio station. You'll have me play music. At 17 years old, you do that to somebody. And which is why now she, you know, she grew up to be an activist, right? I'm sure, which is one of many reasons, but, you know, she was... She was in her 30s, I think, when she was going through the back door. Right. Okay. So she was that. Yeah. She was a bit older at that point. Right. 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 
were you personally like you see you when you went to dig into doing the research on this project and 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 you would have had a you know a lot of support and help from people like ralph you've been here for you know 15 years yourself yeah uh, were were you were you learning afresh yourself like were you surprised to come upon so many oh, people of such significance definitely surprised i mean there's no doubt that i was surprised i mean there's there are still stories to tell. I mean, I, I wrote a piece a while ago about the first 1,000 uh, black loyalists, right? I did a reading up at the loyalist house up here, and I went in there, and of course you had all these portraits, and I didn't see one person of color in there, right? But then I read the black loyalists came on the ship the Quakers brought them over. So wait a minute, you've got this loyalist house up here and, and there's no black faces or any other colored faces in there. But then I get this information and say, the Quakers broke, brought over the first 1,000. What? <laughs> so what happened? That's my question. You see, what happened? What happened? They, they, they didn't go down with the ship. They arrived here, right here in the port of St. John. Yeah. How did you, uh, you know, when you started to dig into this research, how did you, how did you feel coming upon these stories and and learning about them? Like, how how did you, how did it make you feel? Uh, to, to to be truthful, I just I felt a responsibility to try to get the story right. Basically, that's because I was, I would be talking about somebody else's life and I had to find a way to be as truthful as possible when, when, if you're writing fiction, that's one thing, right? You can just go off on a tangent, but if you take the responsibility of writing about somebody's life, you need to be as truthful as possible. And it just required, uh, filling in the blanks almost, right? And and getting your actors to portray them in a way that is extraordinarily respectful. And I and I think we've achieved that. Right. And and I think uh what of the the actors that you've been working with, what are they telling you? Because I mean you have uh a range of people involved in this, you know, including a uh you know a young girl uh you, you want to know what's amazing about that young lady, Joanna? That she came to the show late. We only had two weeks when she came on board because we lost somebody that originally I had picked up. She came two weeks before we were opening up and she managed to memorize and get that down. Great. And, and tell us a little bit about her again. Uh, she's a 17-year-old. She, I believe she has a blog. She has a website. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, uh, Maureen Drummond uh, from St. John High, I've asked, I've used a couple of their high school students before, so I went back to her and said, listen, I need somebody, I need somebody to play this role. And she came up with this young woman, Joanne, and Joanne came on two weeks before opening and i i think did a splendid job for a 17 year old 
to take yeah. on this role under all that pressure. And 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 she's originally Joanne. Joanne is from originally from Nigeria and had lived in Kenya. Yeah, and then lived in Kenya for ten years and then is here. Yeah. So that's an amazing story in itself, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's an incredible story, and it it makes me wonder too, because I know you thought a lot about this yourself and had have had conversations with them. What what kind of perspective do you have now? I mean, obviously, you know, in St. cities like St. John, it would be true of Fredericton be true of Halifax, be true of Moncton. Uh, we still face challenges, right? We it's it's not the 1850s, right? Uh, but but at the same time, it's we still have, we're still facing challenges. Has it brought perspective for you in terms I of how you, you see know, things there, now? There's an old cliche, right? And it's old as Methuselah, I suppose. But it goes simple, simply: be truthful to yourself. Your city that knows you have a history, right? Don't bury it. Be proud of it. That's what I want for St. John. It's that simple for me. <laughs> it's, not, it's not difficult. I want the city of St. John to be proud about its own heritage. And that heritage isn't just one ethnic group. We've all had a hand one way or another in building St. John. And it's really that simple. You know, we can complicate it if we need, you have this need for complication, but it's really very simple. Show me, talk about my history also. Talk about your history. Talk about Lebanese history. There are groups of people here that deserve, that have put in the work and the effort to make St. John succeed. Let's not hide the history. Right. And, and, and on that point, too, we in this again, I'm not saying anything of St. John. That's not true of, of most other cities and places right. you and I have lived. But um, we, we tend to celebrate our, our entrepreneurs and, and the people that lived in the past and made great contributions. Uh, and the people that you've uncovered and told the stories of here they're just as inspiring and in some ways more inspiring than many of the figures that we've celebrated for decades here, right? Yeah, and I think if you say, uh, uh, again, it's if you understood the history, and and that's all I've done, is uncovered some history that you can say, that you can be, you can be proud of. You can say, well, you know, when you walk down the street or you're going somewhere else and somebody asks you about St. John, you can say, well, we had this woman we called the ice lady and she had a monopoly on Lily Lake and she was wealthy as she could possibly be, right? I mean, so just as you would, and and you can say that she truly had the entrepreneurial spirit Mm. and, and demonstrate that. I, I don't know why you wouldn't be proud of something like that. So that's all. I mean, that's my that's my bottom line. And 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 you know, all all these decades later, you find yourself uh, at a Black Lives Matter protest. What more work do we need to do here, right now? In your in your sense, like have you have you reflected on that since you've been researching no, the story? No, to be truthful, no, I haven't. I uh, it's one of those questions that uh, that I always. Refer to Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one of the, because 
since I've been here, I haven't stopped working. Right? I've had the good fortune. So I don't know the difficulties like somebody would Ralph have that was born here, that worked here, and, and, and the struggles that he's gone through that, you know, that he had to go through. Now, if you ask me if, when, if I was down North Carolina, I'd tell you about the looks, <laughs> you know. But since I've been here, I can only speak highly of the way I've been treated. I had a radio program here, as you know, right? I mean, so I've been, I've been working all the years that I've been here. I've had people come to me and ask me to do things, right? So I've, uh, it, it, people, it, it's strange. People want the negative from me that I can't give them, right? Because I haven't suffered through what others that were born here may know. So I refer those questions to Ralph. <laughs> right. When you started this project, you're, you know, you're, you're, I keep going back to you because I love the, 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 the image on the wall and how it inspired you to, to go down this, down this road. And because the, those, those famous folks' paintings and portraits were, you know, they're iconic here, right? Like people, people. Jumping Tom, Donald Sutherland. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they all did it down in the States. <laughs> yeah, and some of them wouldn't come back here. <laughs> it's not like they did it here. <laughs> Actually, that's a really good point. They, they did all of that down in the states. Yeah, it's not like they did it here in St. John. So I'm sort of like, uh. And these people, people I'm speaking of, were right here in St. John, right. with the exception of two. And, and and those but those were those portraits were created uh, for them to hang on those walls and it, and it it struck me that you've created like a, a 2021 version of that um, for a new set of people um, they may have a place on a wall but we at the very least know that their stories are being told and are being taped uh, you know as a bit as as an archive. Um, do you do you guys know what you plan to do? Because of course you're going to do the the shows this weekend, and you're live streaming them in in uh, 2021 fashion. Right. Uh, will they then be used as a kind of an archive? Will you make those available? Uh, <laughs> I you know again, if if I put them in my closet, wouldn't I be doing an injustice? I would be doing an injustice because the whole point is to get the information out there, isn't it? So me putting them in the closet and burying them again, just, <laughs> just me doing the same thing other people did. <laughs> so I don't care where they go, quite frankly. <laughs> you know. so your, your next project is, is uh, not that I should suggest that you have more work to do, but your next project is to find a, a group of painters in the city and find a, a free wall. Well, I understand Barry Ogden is putting up, uh, is uh, addressing that now. He's putting up some murals somewhere on Main Street. So, so I'm to understand, you know, he's the one that paints the murals around the city. Right. So, so you've already inspired that. Uh, well, that you know, it, it, it struck me, and I don't mean to be cruel about this, right? But I can't jump up and down about people wanting to do this now because you're a little late. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you know, a little late, but I'm glad you're doing it. But, you know. Are you what kind of uh, are you getting feedback from people in, in the black community? I mean, obviously, you're talking people like Ralph, but are you uh, how are other people responding to this project of yours? Well, from what I've heard, uh, and again, I, I leave the judgment to other people, but the feedback that I've gotten is, and the response that I've gotten has been uh, positive thus far. So, and uh, I understand the numbers uh, for the live streaming are quite good. And uh, so I, you know, if, if the information gets out there and uh, people enjoy it, and I'm not saying it's an easy thing to watch, you know, <laughs> but it, you, you, it's part of your history, part of your history. And no denying your history because it's there all right well thanks very much clyde I, I really appreciate the time you've taken to talk to me is there anything that we haven't uh, talked about that you want to raise before we go no just my just watch it just watch it be entertained i hope and uh, and learn a little something and i can't leave without mentioning sheila again because i don't know why she's in my head she's in my head for a reason and and I just think that me mentioning her is part of that wall for me, because that's a person that should have been on that wall. You know, she's just she was just a marvelous person and, and very, very involved. That's it for me. And, and to Sheila, too, um, you know, I think of how uh, I got to know you, bumping into you on the street and in cafes. Uh, I, you know, I hope we're all going to come out of this because obviously uh, now we're talking uh, by Microsoft <laughs> Teams, whereas you and I would ordinarily have sat across from each other at a table right. with a microphone. Right, exactly. Um, but Sheila was also, she was one of those people that that's, I, I served on a couple of volunteer committees. She was a very dedicated volunteer in this city yes. um, and was uh, committed, contributed so much. Uh, but she was also one of those people that you just saw on the street all the time. All the time. With that same sense of calm and confidence yes. and resilience. Yes. Um, that so was I just remarkable. wanted to, I wanted to mention her because she, she exemplifies for me the same things that the characters exemplify, and you know the the work ethic and uh, and today I don't know why she was just in my head, and I just wanted to mention it, put yeah. it out there in the universe. <laughs> Good vibes. <laughs> Listen, thank you for having me, Mark. Thank I you very much. I really appreciate uh, chatting with you. Okay, you take care. Be well. You've been listening to the latest episode of Huddle Home Office. Thanks, Clyde, for the great chat. A Home Office is produced by me, Mark Legere, and Shree Sletson. You can subscribe to the show on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend us to a friend. Talk to you next week.